The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house! Sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, usually joined by my co-host, Aaron Murray. I thought Aaron was 100% going to be back for today's college football playoff preview podcast, but he's still busy. Maybe I just need to get the point. No, no, I'm kidding. I think he will be back sooner than later, and a huge congratulations to Aaron and his wife, Sharon, they are expecting a baby boy in the summer of 2020. We will certainly get some details about that when he gets back in the fold on the Punt and Pass podcast. I hope everybody had a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, whatever you celebrate. Hope it was an awesome one. I know for a fact that I had a great one, and now I am gearing up to have an awesome new year filled with bowl season Football. Follow us on social media at Punt and Pass. I am at Drew Butler13 on Twitter and Instagram. Aaron is at Aaron Murray11. And if you follow us on social media, you know that we started a bowl season pick'em league this year. We're gonna give away some prizes to our top three entries. And right before the thick of bowl season gets started, I need to give you an update on who is in the lead. Stew Dog is in the lead. He is picking at 99% right now, and he's tied with Matthias and Ox in the shop. So keep it up, you guys. We got a great slate of games today. It is Friday, December the 27th, and tomorrow, of course, is the start of the college football playoff with the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. I will give you a quick preview on both of those games and how I think, really, how I know they are going to unfold. So we will get to that. But first, I want to talk about something that I think has a lot of interest to our punt and pass listeners. I woke up this morning, Friday morning, December 27th, usually check my emails, check some social media. And the first thing that gets right into your eyeballs is the news that the Falcons are keeping Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov. Yes, I know we usually talk college football on punt and pass, but this needs to be discussed because, wow, shocking all the way across. The Falcons started 1-7 and seven this season. A lot of people were picking them to go to the playoffs at the least, right? You didn't know if they were going to have enough to win the NFC South with how good the New Orleans Saints were last year, what they were returning in 2019. At the least, get a wild card spot, get into the playoffs, especially with the talent 
that you have on the offensive side of the ball, the amount of money that you're spending at your skill positions, and the defense, right? The defense has some dudes. It's not a bunch of playmakers, but these guys have proven that they can win football games and make it to a Super Bowl. So, a 1-7 start, listless 1-7 start. I mean, the Falcons were getting their teeth kicked in week in and week out. People were not showing up to the stadium. They were not even competitive. They get to the bye week, and everybody was expecting, really, Dan Quinn to be fired during the bye week. He wasn't. They come back. They've had a really good second half of the season, highlighted by wins at New Orleans, where they whooped the Saints ass. The Saints were the hottest team in the NFL at the time. And then two weeks ago, they went to San Francisco and beat the 49ers, who were then the number one seed in the NFC, and beat them on the road. Former offensive coordinator for the Falcons, of course, Kyle Shanahan, being the head coach for San Francisco. Why in the world would they keep Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov after last season paired with the 1-7 and start to the 2019 season. I think there's a couple of things to look at here. First off, the biggest question I have is what is the dichotomy of the 1-7 and seven start and then the fight after the bye week? Sure, you can point to the wins at New Orleans and the wins at San Francisco, okay, against the two top teams in the NSC. What is that a sign of, though? Right? What does Arthur Blank and Rich McKay look at that and draw a conclusion from? Because to me, you look at those two wins and the teams that you fielded and the fight that they showed, and I think you ask, where the hell was that from weeks one through eight? I don't think those wins give you an excuse for what happened between weeks one and week eight to say, oh, well, you know what? They finally showed up. Here's what we have. We know we can win with these guys. Maybe it was just a bad start. Maybe they got off on the bad foot. Maybe bad momentum rolled over and rolled over. But we know that we've got success here. We know that we've got the right roster here. We know that we can fight and compete at the top of the conference. I don't know. I think that just goes to show, for me, my opinion, that the Falcons were not living up to the coaching or vice versa. The coaching was not being passed down to the players because you win against the two best teams in the conference and you were one in seven for the first eight weeks. That just tells me that there is something wrong and that something needs to change. Again, pair it with last season where the Falcons didn't make the playoffs again. And you're sitting there going, what are we doing? I do not quite understand why the Falcons, why Arthur Blank, why Rich McKay would retain everything that's in place here after two seasons of failure. After two seasons of failure, because that's what it is. If you don't make it to the playoffs, it's 100% a failure. And if you're expected to go to the playoffs and you don't win the Super Bowl, guess what? It's considered a failure. Again, that's how it is in every locker room across the board. Only one team is happy at the end of the season. And that team, of course, is the squad that lifts up the Lombardi Trophy and wins the Super Bowl. Another thing that's really interesting Quite a time to break the news two days after Christmas when all of sports media are essentially off on vacation, (laughs) right? I mean, the Falcons put out these puff pieces that were produced by their in-house AtlantaFalcons.com crew asking complete fluffball questions to Rich McKay, to Arthur Blank. What was your reasoning? Why did you keep these guys? What's the vision moving forward? Not guys from 92.9 The Game. 
not guys from 680 The Fan, not national ESPN beat writers that, that cover the Atlanta Falcons who are going to ask the tough questions, right? Who are going to get down to why the hell did you make this decision? Because the fans are restless, right? The fans aren't showing up on Sunday. You go on social media, the fans are talking about, I'm not going to renew my season tickets. I'm going to give up my PSL. The atmosphere is terrible inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and I'm not looking forward to 2020. No, no, no. None of those questions were asked. It was just, hey, Arthur Blank gave Rich McKay a promotion. Arthur Blank's taking a little step aside from day-to-day operations. We're going to keep TD. We're going to keep Dan Quinn. I don't know, guys. Every NFL locker room that I've been in, if you are 1-7 and seven and heading into the bye week, you are a dead man walking. That's from head coach to the long snapper. Because when it's going that sour and people aren't showing up to the stadium and you're getting your ass kicked week in and week out, everybody's job is on the line. Sure, they had a great second half of the season and they could finish it off strong with the win against the Buccaneers this Sunday, but it really makes me scratch my head. I think the one thing here, and I'll kind of play devil's advocate to my own point, the one thing here that I think Falcons administration looked at is there was no way that they could fire Dan Quinn without firing Thomas Dimitrov and vice versa. You couldn't fire TD and keep Dan Quinn because you know the new GM was going to want his own head coach. So I think they looked at the entire body of work. Maybe they just completely forgot about 2018. They got caught with a little bit of recency bias. And they said, we have to stick together because we maybe they didn't see the right candidate from a GM perspective. Maybe they don't have the right head coaching qualified candidate that they think could lead this Falcons team into a new generation. And they just said, you know what? Instead of blowing up the whole thing, let's give it one more year. Let's try one more year. Now, you might lose a lot of fans in the process. You might need to start off 4-0, 5-0, 6-0, 6-2 in your first eight games next season. And believe me. That is way easier said than done in the NFL, right? 12 teams make the playoffs in the NFL. I think an average of seven new teams make the playoffs every single year. It is hard to have consistent success unless, of course, you're the New England Patriots. So Falcons fans, keep your head up. Again, I'm not even a Falcon fan. I was just shocked by the news, shocked by the news, shocked by their wins at New Orleans, shocked by their win at San Francisco, shocked by their 1-7 and start, shocked by... An empty Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Sundays and not shocked by Arthur Blank announcing this news two days after Christmas when all of sports media are on vacation. We'll see how they finish up. We will see how they finish up. But I'm telling you right now, the NFL is a performance-based business. It is a true meritocracy. And usually, if you do not do your job at a high level of success, you get your ass fired. That, of course, has been an exception made for the Atlanta Falcons with Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov. So good luck, you guys. Good luck, and go Falcons for the sanity of all of my friends who are Falcons fans and punt and pass listeners who follow the Falcons on Sunday. Let's get back into the college football. The playoffs starts tomorrow. The Peach Bowl, which is in Atlanta, features the number one-ranked LSU Tigers going up against the number four-ranked Oklahoma Sooners. It's at 4 p.m. on ESPN, and the line is sitting steady LSU is a 14, a 14 point favorite. That's right, a two touchdown favorite. And the total is 75 and a half points. I think there are plenty of storylines here. 
Plenty of storylines that should lead to an interesting game. Now, a 14-point spread would tell you that this game could get out of hand, and surely it could get out of hand because everybody knows exactly how explosive LSU's offense has been, how their defense has played of late, and their recent success inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium whooping up on Georgia 37-10 in the SEC championship game. But Oklahoma, how can you count them out led by Jalen Hurts? This story writes itself, guys. You cannot count out Jalen Hurts, who transferred from Alabama to get a shot to be the starting quarterback after Tua Tungabailoa took over. Alabama happens to not be in the college football playoff this year. They're sitting at home. Tua Tungabailoa did get hurt towards the end of the season. They would have needed Jalen Hurts. Now Jalen's in the playoffs with Oklahoma, facing LSU, which, of course, he has a 3-0 record against. They're playing inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium where he won a national championship. Obviously, yes, he got benched, but then the next year led a comeback in the SEC championship after Tua Tungvaloa got hurt and Alabama beat Georgia. This writes itself, guys, and I've been saying it on this podcast. I think one of the most unique storylines with this specific semifinal game is that they're always held in neutral sites. Mercedes-Benz Stadium is an NFL stadium. Not a lot of college teams get an opportunity to play there, but LSU staying at the same hotel they stayed at a couple weeks ago for the SEC championship. They're practicing on the same schedule. The kickoff time, 4 p.m. for the Peach Bowl, same kickoff time for the SEC championship game. They're in the same locker room they were for the SEC championship game. Those things matter. You know exactly where you have to go, where you're going to be, how you're situated in the locker room, how you're situated on the sidelines. I think that's a huge advantage for LSU. On the flip side, Jalen Hurts, he has played at Mercedes-Benz Stadium multiple times as well. So from a perspective of the turf, the locker rooms, the atmosphere, the lighting, these guys have experience, and you can't say that for many other teams that are playing in their bowl games, especially a national semifinal game. So I think that should be talked about, and I think that should be mentioned when you're talking about how this game is going to be handicapped and who's going to win. The quarterbacks will be comfortable, and I think that should break out some consistent play and some great plays being made. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, LSU's running back, is he going to play? He was kind of that security blanket for Joe Burrow. I mean, he really helped this LSU offense hum in the run game. I think Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger really knew how to utilize him, whether it was out of the backfield or to solidify the run game to open up the passing game, which is what Aaron and I talk a lot about right here on the podcast. Joe Burrow, I mean, you saw him at media days. The guy looks like he's been put through the ringer, probably has not had a chance to arrest his head from media obligations since his Heisman Trophy jaunt, I mean, the dude's been all over the place, but you can't count him out. You really can't count him out. You can't expect to fade the Heisman winner, which I know is sometimes a trendy thing to do. What they do from a performance standpoint, really in a preparation standpoint, just shows how elite this offense is. And, and I don't know if Steve Ensminger, I had dinner last night with Sean McDonough and Todd Blackledge, humble brag. We went to Kevin Rathman Steak in Atlanta, fantastic restaurant, and I wanted to ask those guys what they thought about the game, and they just said, Joe Brady gets a lot of credit, but Steve Ensminger should have more credit being given to him for how humble he has been, how accepting he has been to Joe Brady's philosophy coming in from the New Orleans Saints and saying, hey, I think I've got something with the talent that we have on this team to really make it explode, and that's exactly 
what it's done. When you give a guy like Joe Brady and Steve Ensminger, the offensive coordinator at LSU, two and a half, three weeks to prepare for an Oklahoma defense, which has looked shoddy at best, you better believe LSU is leaning towards scoring about 50 points in this game, which would point to the total at 76 and which would point to a 14-point spread. So LSU's defense has picked up big time in the past couple of weeks, but McDonough and Blackledge, keep in mind, they called that LSU Ole Miss game where LSU allowed almost 40 points and John Rice Plumley ran for over 200 yards and four touchdowns. So they know that LSU's defense can allow some points, especially to a mobile quarterback, wink, wink, Jalen Hurts. I think this game is closer than some think. I think if LSU does cover, it's right around that number. And if they don't, Oklahoma will score a late touchdown to cover the spread. LSU's winning this football game, guys. Oklahoma's missing far too many key players. Ronnie Perkins, their top pass rusher. Uh, They lost a safety this past week to a broken collarbone. I've got his name written down right here. Yeah, Delarian Turner-Yell. He will not be playing either. I I just think it's too much to overcome from an injury standpoint for Oklahoma. LSU has been a team of destiny all this season. You better believe that they're going to have an opportunity to play for a national championship in New Orleans, which, again, will just be an unbelievable storyline. So I think, I think, excuse me, OU's missing too many key players. I do think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will play. I know he hasn't practiced yet, but the coaches are pointing to saying, hey, if he's going to play, we're going to let him play. Joe Burrow's going to have an awesome day. I'm going to pick this game, lsu 49, Oklahoma State, 37. Oklahoma, excuse me, 37. LSU, 49. Oklahoma, 37. LSU does not cover the 14-point spread, and this game stays under 75 points. Excuse me, over. God, what is wrong with me? Over 75 points. That will be a great game. And uh, I had fun last night with McDonough and Blackledge. Those guys are total studs, and they will call an awesome game for ESPN at 4 p.m. On the sidelines, Holly Rowe on the Oklahoma sideline, excuse me, on the LSU sideline, and Laura Rutledge is on the Oklahoma sideline. At 8 p.m. on Saturday, it's the other semifinal game, which I think everybody's looking a lot more forward to, really just from a best-on-best standpoint. Number three, Clemson taking on number two, Ohio State. Clemson's a two-point favorite. Both of these teams are 13-0. It's the Fiesta Bowl in Glendale, Arizona. And again, it's at 8 p.m. on ESPN. I think there's a couple of questions here that will point to the winner. Clemson's on an absolute tear. So's Ohio State. Ohio State obviously had to come back from a little bit of a deficit against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship, which is what allowed them or gave them the two spots slipping out of the number one spot. But Clemson has just been ripping up the competition, and we talk about it here week in and week out. There's nothing they can do about the teams that are fielded against them in the ACC. They just take care of business. I mean, hell, they played Virginia in the ACC championship game, won 62-17, to guys. That is absolutely insane. I think this game comes down to which quarterback makes the most plays. Two fantastic quarterbacks in this game, two from the state of Georgia. They were the number one and number two ranked recruits coming out of high school. Just a year and a half ago, of course, Trevor Lawrence for Clemson and Justin Fields from Ohio State who transferred from Georgia. Which quarterback can make the most plays? 
Now, Justin Fields is a playmaker. He can extend the play. He can get out of the pocket. Will he stay healthy? He has been shown to where if he gets knocked around a little bit, the guy will get out of the game. But then on the flip side, Trevor Lawrence is going to have to deal with Chase Young, who is an absolute game wrecker. These guys are going to be having to make pinpoint accurate throws, get the ball out quick, and not turn the football over you'd have to lean towards Trevor Lawrence in this spot from an experience standpoint the guy played flawlessly in the college football playoff a year ago against Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl and then shredding Alabama in the national championship and Justin Fields is just young I know he finished third in the Heisman Trophy stat uh, Heisman Trophy finalist rankings I know he accounted for 40 passing touchdowns one interception and another 10 touchdowns on the ground but since the bye week Trevor Lawrence has just been on fire and more importantly I think for Clemson Travis Etienne has been on fire as well running back Travis Etienne who got some Heisman love as well can Ohio State's defense slow down Travis Etienne Because if you give Clemson's offense a two-way go, watch out. Watch out. And Ohio State's defense has shown to be susceptible, especially in the first half of games where Michigan got off to a fast start. Wisconsin got off to a fast start in the Big Ten championship game. They have been known to allow some points, and Clemson's defense has been much more solid. Much more solid across the board. Competition be damned. These guys can play football. The last time these two teams matched up, Clemson won 31 to nothing in the Fiesta Bowl in the same stadium. I know it was a different head coach with Urban Meyer. I know Trevor Lawrence wasn't there, but these things matter. Believe me, guys, these things matter. Uh, My X factor is Brent Venables. My X factor is Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator for Clemson. He has showed time and time again that with extended time to prepare, his defenses could shut down any offense. They've done it. They'll continue to do it. It's what Clemson does now. I am rolling with Clemson in this game. Lay the two points. I think it stays under 63.5 points, which is the total. And Ohio State will suffer their first loss and be bounced from the college football playoff. Keep in mind, the number two seed has won the college football playoff national championship three times. I know it's only a small sample size since 2014. Ohio State is the number two ranked team, but the number two ranked team has won the national championship three times. So this is going to be an absolutely fantastic game. I think Saturday is going to be a great day for college football, and I really do think that the Peach Bowl could be interesting. It should be a good game for the better part of three and a half quarters. LSU, though, too much to handle for Oklahoma. So I'm going to go with an LSU-Clemson national championship game in New Orleans for the college football playoff national championship. That will just be absolutely fantastic. Of course, we'll have another podcast for you before that because that game is so far away, January 13th. We'll also have another podcast after the weekend to preview the New Year's Eve and New Year's Day games. Of course, we got some New Year's Six Bowls to cover. Georgia's taking on Baylor. We're going to get a nice little breakdown there. But it's here, guys. I cannot believe this season has gone by this quickly. The college football playoff, 
Saturday starts at 4 p.m. with the Peach Bowl, LSU and Oklahoma. Then 8 p.m. finishes out with Clemson and Ohio State. Hope you all enjoyed this quick podcast. That's the games I really wanted to touch on right there. The Cheez-It Bowl is tonight. The Holiday Bowl, again, I talked about it on the Christmas Eve podcast, USC against Iowa. I like Iowa tonight. I really do. Laying the two points, roll with that. I'm mad at the Texas Bowl because they did not put Texas against Texas A&M. I like A&M here. I do. I like A&M minus the six and a half. So underdogs have been barking. Let's just stick with some favorites, though, here on the podcast. And, of course, we will get everybody a recap of what happened in the college football playoff when we come back after this weekend. Bowl season is here. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everyone. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Punt and Pass. Follow me at DrewButler13 and follow Aaron at AaronMurray11. Enjoy the college football playoff, and we will talk to you on Monday. See you.